That's the gospel. It's really not complicated. Say, so, well, I don't know enough to share it with somebody. I don't. That's all you need to know. Jesus loves me, this I know. There's a story written about a great theologian. I've forgotten who it was. It's, I've known the name at one point, but well-known like Spurgeon or someone like that. and said, if you had one sermon to preach, one last message to preach after all that you preach, what would you preach? Sat back for a moment. This is near the end of his life. He said, I know what it is. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. That's it. That's the gospel. And then the response is, oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. You get those two straight, you're in good shape. Praise God. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. And as I've shared with you, what we're going to do is begin to take, when we share the Lord's table today, which together, which we are going to do today, I've just felt that we've, and maybe it's just me, um, we've, we've kind of get into a pattern or a habit of taking something for granted. You can do that in relationships. Uh, you can do that in relationship with your spouse. You can do that in relationship with your, your parents, with your siblings. You can do that in relationships in church. And we can do that in our relationship with God. And we can do that in relationship to the things of God that He's given us to do. Some of us have been Christians for 30 plus years and some of you longer than that. And, and we get into habits and patterns and those things can... Habits are good when they, when they help you to do the things you need to do when you don't feel like doing it. But they can get in the way because we stop remembering why we do it. And so we do it as a ritual, not as, a, as an exercise for the purpose for which it was given. And I think what's happened with some of us is we've come into the pattern of, of celebrating the Lord's table, and, and I have to repent of this because it become my attitude. It's like we stick it in at the end of the service because but the message is what we need to hear, but we stick it in at the end of the service. And as I began to meditate on some of these scriptures, I realized that's not the, that's not the importance that the Lord's table has in the Word of God. Some of you have come out of traditions in churches where it's done every time you come together, and, uh, and that can become such a routine that you, become, you, place, you place a significance on it that's different than the one that's intended to it. So what we're going to do is take some time whenever we celebrate the Lord's table together to spend that day talking about what it's about and learn some things about it. And as I began to get into it, what we're going to read today, I realized, and some of what we probably will look at next time, it, it really is a form of worship. We've been talking about worship this year, and it really is a form of worship as we're going to look into some scriptures. We may not get into them today. But the traditional place you start, of course, is in 1 Corinthians 11, and we're going to read that in a moment. But isn't it interesting, I was reminded of this just before I came up here while, we were, while she was singing, actually, is that, that one of the last things Jesus did with his disciples before he left them to go to the cross and then to be ascended into heaven, before everything in his relationship changed with them, one of the last things he did with them is to celebrate this table, this meal together, and to teach them what it meant. And it was one of the things he left with them, and, and left with them and told them that they were to do. And therefore, it is of great significance, greater significance than I suggest, than I suspect we've given to it. 
And so we need to remedy, remedy that. And so together we're going to look into this. I don't really have a lot of notes laid out because I really have a sense of getting into the Scriptures and allowing the Spirit of God to begin to teach us what He wants to teach us because that's what's important this morning. Well, I could put together lessons on communion, but there's what, God, what does God want us to see? What does God want to speak to us about today here at Faith Christian Center, you and me together? Because I believe it's an important aspect of what God is preparing us for and what we've been talking about. So we're going to look in 1 Corinthians 11, and, and this is a letter that's written by Paul to the church at Corinth to correct some things. We've mentioned that before. Paul is correcting some practices and some attitudes in the church. It's a church, as you look in the first three chapters, was filled with divisions and strife, and, and, and there were, they were different groups where you had this people was identified with Paul, other was identified with Apollos, who was a teacher that had come through. They thought he was a better teacher than Paul was, so they liked him better. They liked his message better. And then others were looking after other people. So this one church of Corinth, which was a significant church, had within it different allegiances and different factions. One say, I like, I like this pastor, Pastor Paul. I like this pastor, Pastor Apollos. I like this teacher. You know, why can't, why can't the messages be like the guy that's on TV that we see, whatever it was. Of course, they didn't have TV back then. But it's the same kind of thing, you know, and we have that in the body of Christ today. People, some people are, in their thinking are aligned with a certain preacher they see on TV or they're aligned with this or this is my church and no church is better than this church and that's okay to have that sense because it's your church and you belong here but we're just a part of the body of Christ. It's a big world. It was interesting because coming before the service, I was walking down this corridor and Remy was standing over there and there he is right there. And he was looking at the, at the world and I was just talking about how, how big that world is. Isn't it amazing that God knows everybody that's in that? And more than that, he cares about everybody that's in He knows where they are right now, cares about every one of them right now. They're all important to him. And right now there's churches today, whether it's right now because of different time zones, meeting all over the world. They're meeting behind the Iron Curtain, underground in, in China. They're meeting in, in Muslim nations. They're meeting, worshiping the same God, reading, as, in essence, the same word. And God's there with all of them. He's a big God. He's a big God. When we forget that, that's why it's so important to be involved in missions. One of the reasons, because it shows you how big God is and what he's doing all over the world and that, that, that we're part of each other. And, and so, so, so this is so important, and I lost track of where I was going with all that. <laughs> well, we'll figure it out. Why don't we get into the Word? That's a good place to go. Oh, yeah, Paul was correcting them. That's right, thank you. Paul was correcting them. And so this is part of that correction. That's the reason why I mention it. So we're going to pick up here in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. Now he's just dealt with um, he's just dealt with certain attitudes, and we'll go back. Maybe we won't get there today. He's just dealt with certain attitudes, and then he deals with uh, the proper relationship of husband and wife in some aspects of it under the, the proper priority there. And now in verse seventeen, he says, "Now in giving you instructions, I do not praise you." Now he's just said before that that he did praise them in some things. They had some things right, but what he's about to talk to them about, they don't have right. Now, in giving you these instructions, I do not praise you or commend you, since you come together not for better, but for worse. So, first thing we see here, he's talking about how these believers come together at a worship service. So, he's not talking about their personal relationship with God. He's not even talking about their personal relationship with each other out of the church. He's talking about a practice that they have when they come together to worship God together as a church. So, that applies to us here. 
since you come together not for better, but for worse. So how we come together and why we come together and the way we come together is important. We've been talking about that. We've been talking in our study of worship that of, of what's our motive in coming to church. Is it just to come and feel better about ourselves? Is it to come and to learn more information? Is, those, are, those are okay, but is it to come ultimately with a heart of I'm coming to give something back to God? I'm coming to honor Him, to love Him, to, to give something from my heart to Him who's given everything for me. Literally the breath by which I worship Him and praise Him has come from Him. And am I coming with that attitude and that heart? And Paul saying here, uh, you know, you, you come together, but your motive, the why you come together and how you come together is not so good. So I need to address that is what he's saying here. All right. First of all, uh-oh, there's going to be more than one. <laughs> First of all, when you come together as a church... See, in, in, our, in our country, in our culture... We don't quite understand the way they do in Eastern cultures. Their concept of churches starts at a different foundation. We start as church as a place we go to as a bunch of individuals. In Eastern cultures, their idea of, of their culture, of their nation, of their church is that we are a whole together. And that's something that, that our individuality, you know, through our individuality in our Western culture, we've accomplished all kinds of great things in our world in terms of inventions, in terms of accomplishments, because we're individualists and we're trained and taught, you know, whatever talent you have, develop that talent, go out and pursue your goal, pursue your career. And, and that's wonderful to a degree, but then we bring that attitude into the church, you know, and I get my ministry, and I want to find out what I'm here to do. And, and I want to find out what, what am I getting out of this. And so as we've talked about this before, without that we have to be careful because we may be 800 individuals that come in here on Sunday, sit together, hear one message, and then 800 individuals go out. That's not how Christ sees us. And if that's all we do, we are weak. We're fragmented. And what we're going to see is if we're weak and fragmented, that means we're exposed we're exposed to spiritual dangers. And so Paul's talking here about how they come together as a church. How does this church come together to worship God? And so the, one of the first things we get challenged with the word here is, is our concept in coming on Sunday morning, Sunday morning that we're coming to be part of a collective worship service. Because if we are, that'll change our whole perspective on how we relate to one another and how what goes on. So when we come in and we find out somebody's sitting in my seat, and we get a little irk because don't they know that's my seat? That's an indication that you're coming as an individual, you're worshiping as an individual, and you're leaving as an individual because somebody sat in your individual seat. When we come... And this isn't in my notes at all. When we come and we, we, we leave saying, well, I didn't get my needs taken care of. Or we evaluate whether I liked what went on or not. Then we're coming as an individual, we're experiencing it as an individual, and we're leaving as an individual, and we completely miss what God had. We've been talking on Sunday mornings about the woman that came to the well, and that if unless until Jesus revealed to her who he was... 
She had no idea the opportunity she had because she was sitting in the presence of God. We've been talking about the opportunity we have when we come here. But part of realizing the benefit of that opportunity is recognizing how God sees us, not how we see ourselves, and learning to adjust what we expect and what we are putting into and contributing to what goes on here, adjust that to what God sees and what God's idea is, not get, try to get God to adjust to ours, because He won't. So the first thing we see here is that, that Paul and the Spirit of God wants to talk to them collectively as a church about how they come together, the attitude with which they come together, the uh, the understanding of why they're coming together, their expectation of coming together. All right. And we're going to see that that shows up and what he's going to correct in them. First of all, verse 18, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. Now, the word divisions there is a Greek word that means schisms or splits, strife. I sit over here because I'm mad at somebody that sits over here. <laughs> I come in that door because I know somebody comes in that door I don't want to see or talk to. We've just talked about that. That that undermines our ability to worship. It affects the presence of God coming into this place. Not just in us, but collectively together. We've just been talking about that. Walking in love and how critical that is for worship. I hear that the divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions. That's a different word that means heresies. That means there are doctrines, there are beliefs that have come into this church in Corinth that are not lining up with the Scriptures, that are ungodly, that are leading people instead of closer to God, away from God. And I believe there's a connection between the two between strife and heresy. This really is not in my notes. I never really thought of this before. But there's a connection between the two because the whole lesson here is he wants them to understand that they are collectively together the body of Christ. That we are, now we're not the whole body, but here at Faith Christian Center, when we come together, it is the body of Christ that He has assigned here coming collectively together. Understand this. I'm getting in it anyway, so I might as well get in it. I believe the Bible clearly teaches that a, a, a believer is assigned by God to a church. We know people's gifts are assigned to the church because the next chapter talks about that. God is appointed, first of all, in the church, and then He lists those gifts. So Christ has the attitude, He can choose where you go to church. <gasps> Nobody can tell me where I can go to church. They can't make you go, but He can tell you where you're assigned, because the Bible says He's the head. Now, let me ask you a question. If in your, in your mother's womb, as those cells were divided off, they decided that they wanted to go into the part of your body they wanted to go in? 
None of us would have toes. <laughs> Most of us wouldn't have internal, internal organs because nobody gets to see those. They get to see your hair and your eyes and your face. They're the more obvious ones. They're the more prestigious ones. So most of those cells forming in you would want to be there because that means you'd have a... Oh, you'd have a big head. (laughs) But you wouldn't have a stomach. You wouldn't have a liver. You wouldn't have... Why? Because they went where they wanted to go. They went where it was popular. No, what we've learned in science through the understanding of DNA and the double helix and all that stuff is there is a code that your parents' DNA, when that cells were, when those, that egg and that sperm were united together, there was a union that established a, a genetic code that as each, incredible, as each cell was formed, it was assigned someplace in your body. And when they all go to where they're supposed to go and do what they're supposed to do, that child is deemed healthy. But if they don't all go where they're supposed to go or they don't all perform what they were supposed to perform, then that child is deemed unhealthy. So it seems from that And Paul over and over again uses our human body as an example of the body of Christ. It seems from this lesson that the health of the body of Christ, the church, is determined by whether each cell, each believer, is where they're assigned to and doing what they're assigned to do. Say, Pastor, that may mean there's some people here that aren't assigned here. Then you need to go where you're assigned. We're not about collecting a large church here. We're not counting numbers to see how big a church can we build. Because this is not my church to build. It's his body to build. And various times there will be sortings that take place where people wake up and realize, whoa, wait a minute. Or they realize, we had just greeted the new members class the last class, and it was so reassuring to go through there. And three or four of them said to me, you know, this feels like home. Well, you found your place. You found your place. You found your place. You're assigned a place. You're assigned to be part of the body of Christ. Then you're assigned to do something in it. You're assigned to actually perform some kind of function in that in order for it to be healthy. And the problem here that Paul's addressing is because there's envy, jealousy, strife within the church, there's an opening, and in that opening, Satan's been able to come in and bring doctrine in that takes them off track. And that's what this next verse talks about. It's talking about heresies that have gotten in the church. So what we're studying about unity is an important protection against heresy. And that's very critical in the age we live in now because if this really is the last age, if this really is the last days, the Bible says in several places that many are going to be deceived and brought off, taken off track. Why? Because they didn't have an understanding of correct doctrine. There are all kinds of strange teachings out there. You can even see them on Christian TV strange teachings out there 
that somebody's taken their own experience and build an entire doctrine around that experience and leading many off track about what grace is and about other things. There are people out there teaching there's no hell. There are people teaching out all kinds of things. And so you've got to be well grounded in doctrine and what the Word of God says because it keeps us strong and stable and together. And so unity is so important because otherwise there's an open door for the enemy to get in. And we'll see there are other things he can bring in when we do this. All right, I want to read down through this. Verse 19 says again, For there must be factions among you, and those who are approved may be recognized or become evident among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, so he's talking about coming to church, is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. I'm going to just read down through it, and then we'll come back. What, don't you have houses to eat in or drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I receive from the Lord. So what he's about to tell them is a revelation he got directly from the Lord, probably when he was in Arabia for that period of time. Which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Wow. So the way we eat this bread and drink this cup, it's possible that we can be guilty of his body and blood. We'll talk a little bit about that later on. But let a man examine himself, and so let him drink of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats or drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. I've not heard a whole lot of teaching on that. And what struck me is, every month when we would celebrate the Lord's table, we'd read through these verses almost every month, and we'd read through them quickly so we could get to the, the elements so that we could take those and so we could get out of here and go on about our affairs. All the while, we're reading this verse that says, if we eat or drink in an unworthy manner, we're drinking judgments to ourselves, not rightly discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many, look at that, many, not every once in a while this might happen, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you. So he's not just talking about spiritually weak. And sick among you, and many sleep. That means they've died. Whoo! I want you to look at your Bible. Does your Bible say that or something close to that? 
For if, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And when we are judged, we're chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, brother, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if one is hungry, if anyone's hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. So the basic thing I want to talk about this morning is this is a serious matter. Not something to be afraid of, but somehow we've read these verses so many times that it's never really hit us, or if it's hit us, we've never stopped and said, whoa, wait a minute. That's pretty serious things he's talking about there. Guilty of the body and the blood? I know none of us in here want to do that. Well, what does that mean? Well, we'll look at that. Bringing judgment on ourselves so that many are weak and sick and many have died? Well, we surely don't want that. So as I was reading through that, I was, wait a minute, we need to stop and take a look at this and what we're doing when we celebrate the Lord's table together because it apparently has a, had a significance then. Not just in their eyes, but a spiritual significance that provided a protection for them a spiritual, physical, natural protection for them so that when they got out from underneath it, they got out from underneath that protection. And as a result, they found sickness in their bodies. They found other issues in their life. Because when he talks about receiving these elements in an unworthy manner in examining ourselves, he's not talking about examining yourself to see whether you're qualified to receive the Lord's elements. He's talking about examining yourself as to the manner with which you're doing it. Is your attitude right towards what you're doing? And he's not talking here so much about the particular method by which we do it. In our church, we come, we, we come forth and take the emblems back to your seats. I've been in churches where they pass out little packets. I've been in churches where you come up and you eat it here. It's not talk, it, how the manner in which you do it isn't what he's talking about. It's the attitude of our heart towards what we're doing and what it means. So it must have a meaning. It must have a significance and importance according to the Bible that's deeper and greater than just doing something because we're supposed to do it. And that's why we're going to take the time for a while before we, every time before we celebrate the Lord's table to look at some aspect of it so that we've devoted this entire time to getting ready to receive the Lord's table. Getting ready in the sense of honoring it, respecting it for what it is and gaining some understanding of what it is. Because I'm sure if I took the time this morning to interview each one of you, you come in here with some different background about the communion, the Lord's table. There are people that have been taught, you know, if you've had any sin in your life that you haven't dealt with, then you can't receive the Lord's table. No, he says, judge yourself. We have people that believe, you know, it's, it, it, you know, if you, if you, we'll get into this, you know, whether or not that bread actually becomes Christ's body and whether that juice actually becomes his blood. And we'll talk about that. I mean, Christendom was split in half over that issue. We'll look at that so that we, are, we can come together of one mind and one heart. That's the most important thing. So these are powerful statements. Powerful statements. I want to read down through it again. Verse 27. He who eats and drinks this cup 
eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now, don't get afraid, because as we go in there, there's answers in here. There's answers of what to do, but the main thing I want to see this morning is how important this is. Somewhere, and it may not be of all of you, but somewhere where we've taken this for granted, we've, never, we've not spent the time to get into it and really look at what this is and what we're doing with this. Because obviously, according to the Holy Spirit, it's more, it has an importance beyond what we've been giving to it. Now, you personally may be, but as a church together, and that's what he's talking about here. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. But if we judge ourselves, we'd not be judged. And when we're judged, we're chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with it. Well, let's go back and look. Go back to verse 17 again. We'll look at the beginning of what this involves. First of all, look at this. And this is the title of today's message. Verse 20 says, Therefore, when you come together, because what he's telling him in verse 17 through 19 is things they're doing wrong. In verse 20, he says, Therefore, when you come together in one place, is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? And that's the first thing. That's the foundation. They either didn't understand or they lost sight of the fact that this is the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table we're celebrating. This is not just communion. It's the Lord's table. It's something He commanded. It has a significance that He's given it and that's important to Him. Now, we've been talking about worship and one of the first things we learned about worship is you can come and sing songs of thanksgiving anytime you want. You can sing songs of praise to God, but true spiritual worship cannot happen unless the Spirit of God connects us with Him. And what we've learned is to have true worship, we can't come on our terms. We've got to come on His terms. And so we've been looking at what those terms are. We've got to begin to adjust ourselves to Him and what He requires instead of having the attitude that the church in the United States has had for so long of trying to get God to adjust to our attitude, what we want. And that's true here. This is the Lord's table, which is why it has such a significance. We've talked about the fact that, that in worship, well, in, in the first church, you see that in the book of Acts, that, that, if, that in receiving the offering, this couple that sold their land lied about how much they were giving on the envelope. They didn't put the right amount on the envelope. No. <laughs> they lied about what they were giving. It wasn't because they didn't give everything. They told, said they were giving everything when in reality they were holding back. And they were trying to present an image of where they were that was not where they were. And we've talked about it. The result is they dropped dead during the offering. Woo. 
And we want God's, we're calling for God's presence here. And we've got to understand that when His presence comes, He wants to prepare us so that we don't drop dead when He shows up, because that's not what He's looking for. And yet we've talked about the fact that in the Old Testament under Eli, the, 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 the high priest, that at the door of the temple, there were prostitutes practicing their wares out there on the way into church. And nobody dropped dead. What was the difference? God wasn't there. They were having their own church. They were having church for their own purposes instead of calling on God to have church for His purposes, which is where we're going, where God's calling us to go. So part of that has to do with not just how we worship in our singing and how we worship in our attitude comes in. It also has to do with the attitude we have towards what we're about to do today, that it's the Lord's Supper. It's something He's commanded. And as we'll look into it, probably not this time, but next time, it involves a communion with Him, a celebration of our being joined together with Him and joined together with each other. Which is why Paul is saying, the problem you've got here, first of all, is there's divisions among you. You're not together. You're not here of one purpose. You're not here in love with each other. You're not walking in love together. But you've divided Christ. You divided Christ among this different group here and this different group here and that different group back over there. You divided Christ. Not only that, because you've divided Christ, now heresies, false teachings have come in. And people within this body are beginning to believe false teachings. And therefore, because of that, that's reflected in how you've celebrated the Lord's table together. Now look at how that came out. So verse 17 and 18 and 19 says that there's divisions among you. Not only that, there's factions. There's false teaching among you. Look at the rest of verse 19. There are factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized or become manifest. So that those who are right... I don't get into arguments with people over doctrine. Because some of it's just foolishness and... Paul warned Timothy to not get involved in that foolish... because it doesn't strengthen the body. It creates strife. I have the privilege now of being part of a fellowship of just some pastors in the area that, that, that we have some doctrinal differences in the sense of some are charismatic, we're charismatic here, some are not charismatic. And if we got into those differences, there would be a tendency to really kind of, you know, feel edgy. But we've come together for a purpose of getting to know each other. Of loving one another, praying for one another, of listening to one another, developing relationship with one another, developing unity among one another. So that there can be a possibility of unity among our churches, even though we may not agree on everything. Because we all agree on the most important thing of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and how desperately we need him. And these are men that love the Lord with all their hearts. And I find somebody that loves the Lord with all their heart, there's immediately a kinship together. There's a kinship together. And so the unity doesn't mean we agree on everything. Unity means we love one another. 
especially where we don't agree on everything. But there's some things people want to, you know, make issues over. And my, you know, well, we're going to find out finally, won't we? When we stand before the Lord, we'll all know who's right and who's wrong. So I don't need to push it. I don't have to be right about everything. In fact, I've discovered I'm probably not right about everything. And neither are you. So don't look at me that way. (laughs) And if you think you are, I can tell you what you're wrong about. (laughs) But the things that are critical, I know I'm right about. I know I'm right that that word is the inspired word of God. I know I'm right that Jesus Christ is Lord. I know I'm right that he died for my sins and for your sins. And if I put my faith in him, that there's salvation. I know that he's coming back again. I know the basics and I believe the basics. I know the basics are true. And Paul says what's happening here is he says, there's divisions among you, there's heresy among you, but what's going to have actually happened is the truth and rightness is going to rise to the top and it's going to become obvious. That's what he's talking about there. So don't worry about it. Friends of yours don't agree with you, just don't worry about it. There's going to come a day when we all stand before the Lord and it's going to all become clear who's right, who's wrong. So don't get so adamant about it except the things that are really important. Right? Okay. All right. Because those create divisions. You notice there's not a whole lot in the Word of God that tells you to be right. I don't mean talking about right with God, but right in your, what you believe. But there's a whole lot about walking in love and how we get along with one another. He says, because of these divisions and these factions, when you come together in one place... You're not coming together to eat the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper. You're coming with other motives. Look at what they are. This is what, what he's about to describe they do is a reflection of the attitude they had towards church and towards one another. He says, for in eating, because what they were doing is they were coming to church and they were eating all right, but when you eat, eat each one takes his own supper ahead of the others. And one is hungry as another is drunk. And not in the Spirit. What? Don't you have houses to eat in and drink in? Or you, do you despise the church and shame those that have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. What they were doing is they were coming to church and they were bringing their food to church and celebrating that as communion. So you'd have a bunch of people sitting over there because they liked one another. They were good friends and they all brought their picnic baskets and their fried chicken or whatever it was, you know, their linguine or whatever it was that they brought together and they were eating it together and enjoying their food together that they liked together and there were people sitting over here that didn't have any, didn't bring any and nobody cared about them. And they called that the Lord's Supper. The group back there, I'm not looking at anybody, They were drunk. And Paul's saying, I'm not talking about whether drinking or not drinking. Am I getting that issue? But Paul's saying, look, that's stuff you do at home. When you come here, this is the body of Christ together. And if you brought your food, at least be aware that there are people around you that don't have what you have. Share it like the body, your body does. What if your lungs decided not to share the oxygen it breathed in? I do all the work. I breathe all this oxygen in. Why am I going to share it with the cells in your little toes, in your liver, in your stomach? You die. It wouldn't take long. 
your heart to sign it. <laughs> what do your kidneys need the blood for? I'm going to keep it for myself. They'd stop functioning and you'd die. Your body's sharing all the time its resources and it's sharing what it has all the time to create health in the body. Why? Because your body sees itself as one body. And this is the root of the problem in that church is they didn't see themselves as the body of Christ that came together as His body. And because of that, they could shift off into fleshly things. Because he says in chapter, in the beginning of this letter, you think you're spiritual, but you're just carnal. You're walking around like mere men. That was not a compliment. You're acting like the world, we'd say today. And the sign of it is the divisions and the strife, the selfishness. That's the, that's the indication, that's the outward indication of the inward attitude. And see, what Paul's talking about here is the inward attitude. If you get the inward attitude right, the outward actions will fall in place. And this is part of what he means by in an unworthy manner. It's how we see each other. It's how we see why we come together. It's how we see who he is and how we see what we're going to do together. Because this is a celebration we're going to learn of our unity together. This is a celebration of our unity together and our unity with Him. What your little toe, what your little toe and the nerve cells of your brain have in common is they both belong to the same body. And what you and I have in common is that we both belong to the same body of Christ. And so the first thing we see here that Paul's addressing about receiving this in an unworthy manner was how the, why they came to church and the attitude with which they came, which was to do what, get what I need, to see the people that I want, to be part of my group and do what I want and satisfy my needs. And I'm not even concerned about what's happening over there with other people. Okay. So the evidence of where they were was in what they did when they came together. And now what Paul is going to do in verse 23 is tell them what the Lord told him. That's important because what we're talking about today is this is the Lord's table. This is His communion. This is what He has called us to do. He has ordained and therefore we have to do it His way with His attitude or else we see their consequences. We get unprotected. We get out from underneath the spiritual protection. We'll learn down the road that this covenant, that this is a covenant meal. And in that covenant, there are protections. We love Psalm 91. My wife and I have been talking about this more and more. We love all the benefits. Psalm 91 has got some incredible promises and benefits in there. No plague shall come near your dwelling. Cancer is a plague. No plague shall come near your dwelling. But the key to Psalm 91, people skip over, is he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High. 
Not he who visits it Sunday morning for two hours and maybe Wednesday night for an hour and a half. But he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall be under the shadow. All of that is a consequence of dwelling in that secret place which speaks of this covenant relationship. And we're going to learn that communion is a celebration of, a reminder to us of the covenant relationship that we have with God through Christ. We're going to learn that Jesus in that last supper changed the meaning of Passover from being a remembrance of the deliverance from Egypt to a covenant meal to entering into union literally with God through Christ. And as a consequence of that union, we have protections. And so when we begin to operate outside of that covenant, we're operating outside of that protection. That's what we talked about a week or so ago. It's like on a rainy day, having your umbrella up, but holding it out here and wondering why you're wet. And this is why many were weak, many were sick, and many died because they stepped out from underneath the covenant protection that this relationship with Christ has for us that has acted out, celebrated, and reminded us of through this, what we're about to do today, the Lord's table. So it has an importance, according to the Word of God, that's far beyond something we just do as a habit, either once a month or some churches do it once a week or some churches do it once whatever, quarter, whatever. He never tells you when to do it or how often. He says as often as you do it. Do it in remembrance of me. We'll talk about what that word remember means. It's a covenant term. So Paul's about to say here in verse 23, what I'm going to tell you, I received from the Lord. I didn't get it by talking to John or I didn't get it by talking to Peter. I didn't get it talking to by somebody that was in that upper room. I got it directly from the Lord. Because remember, it's the Lord's table. So Paul's following that up by saying, the instructions I'm about to give you, I got from the Lord of how he wants this done because it's his table. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, and that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance for me. This is a covenant meal. In the same manner, he also took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So that's part of it. Part of why we're doing this is you're proclaiming his death until he comes. Whoever eats of this bread and drinks of this cup in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood. And again, the unworthy manner doesn't mean whether you hold it in the right fingers. It doesn't mean whether we come forward and take them back. It doesn't mean whether somebody serves them to you or you take them yourself. It doesn't mean how you've lived your life up to this point. It's talking about the attitude and the regard we have for what we're about to do. And when he talks about examining ourselves, he's talking about examining our motives for doing this. Yes, it's important to examine yourself. Yes, if there's sin in your life, you need to do that anyway, whether you're taking the Lord's table or not. So I'm not saying don't do that. 
I'm saying what he's talking about here because it was years, a number of years ago I did this. I did t- a teaching on, on the significance of communion, not from this point of view, but simply part, one aspect of what it's about. And I got a letter from somebody uh, the next week saying, thank you so much. He said, I've been here for a while. He said, I've never felt worthy enough to take communion. He was waiting until he got holy enough to take communion. But see, that comes from religious teaching. That comes from religious teaching. This celebrates that he paid the price so that you can ask forgiveness and be cleansed from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. This celebrates that. It reminds us that there is forgiveness, that there is cleansing. But what he's specifically talking about is examining our hearts for my motive. Why am I doing this? Is it just a routine to me? Am I doing this because I'm supposed to? Am I doing it because, you know, uh, this is what my family trained me to do? Whatever it is. Or am I doing it because I recognize that we are celebrating that Christ gave his life up for me? And by that, he joined me to himself. And through that union, joined me and us together to God. And that if I'm joined to Christ, and you're joined to Christ, then we're joined to one another. I'm going to say that again. If I'm joined to Christ, and you're joined to Christ, and the person next to you is joined to Christ and the person here you're having trouble with is joined to Christ, and that person that may not go here but goes to another church that you're mad at is joined to Christ, then we're also joined to each other. Because you can't be joined to Christ and separated from each other. And it's in that union with each him and with each other that we have protection. We're going to pray right now. And we're going to, I'm going to ask you to take a few moments just sitting where you are. You may want to get up and come down here. You may want to get on your knees. It's okay to pray in church. And I want us to take a few moments right now and examine our hearts. First of all, towards anybody that we may have holding anything against. Either judging them incorrectly, as we learned last week, or we're just angry at them. They hurt us and we're just holding something against them. Maybe somebody in here. Maybe somebody you feel you need to go straighten out now with while we're doing this. And then we're going to examine our hearts, and you can do this all at the same time, about what you've heard this morning and your attitude towards the Lord's table. And I know we haven't gone through the whole teaching on it, but at least to realize, wait a minute, maybe I've taken it for granted. Maybe it's just not what it used to be to me. Maybe it's just whatever it is. And the key of examining is to be honest with yourself. And as you're honest with yourself, you'll be being honest with God and that he'll be able to move. And we'll just see where the Lord takes us from there.